The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors. And now, it's time for Radio Jobline with your host, Scott Possessor, right here on 103.9 LI News Radio. Welcome, everybody. It must be Saturday afternoon from 2 to 3 p.m., or it might be Wednesday night from 9 to 10 p.m. We're on twice a week to talk about your career, dissect the job market, look at the economy, do just about everything we can to help you figure out how to navigate this crazy world of work we're in. And we have had some uh, some crazy things happen in the last uh, four or five months or so. Um, I myself have a couple of stories I'd like to share with my listeners. Those of you that have been with me for a long time, some people say they've been listening to me for uh, since my TV show started and, and 30 years ago. Um, I had a bout with COVID. So I want to preface the story by saying uh, apologies to anyone who had really serious illness from COVID or, God forbid, know someone that passed away or something like that. Uh, no offense intended to those people at all. I think those of us that could get COVID today um, are a little bit luckier. We've had a lot of vaccines. We're uh, in better shape. Uh, we have a bit greater understanding. But I had a rough time with it. It, uh, it hit me just a couple of days before Christmas. I was. I went and got my grandmother, my grandma, my granddaughter, uh, and my and my son. Uh, brought them to my house. Started coughing. Couldn't stop. And next thing you know, I was upstairs in my in my bedroom. I didn't see my granddaughter the whole three days she was in my house because uh, I didn't, certainly didn't want to give it to her. But I discovered, folks, what everyone's been talking about with COVID. COVID is a predator. It finds your weakness and exploits it. So I have two weaknesses. One is an ulcer. So I had this um, this incredible stomach pain, which is one of the listed uh, current COVID systems uh, symptoms, but it lasted for three weeks, uh, and and it was it seemed like the the linings of my stomach were being attacked by something, and I had a food in there all the time, and I gained seven pounds just from that. So so we won't even talk about the holiday weight or anything like that. Um, but then after that, I started getting back pain and I remembered I have three messed up discs in my back and COVID went somehow right to the discs and said, you know what, we're going to make, we're going to squeeze you hard. And I, and I couldn't sleep because the pain in my back was so bad. And then I started feeling a little bit better and then a little bit worse and a little bit better. But um, I, you know, I finally got back to work in the first week in January. Uh, so it was really three weeks lost. So I, I, I feel badly for anybody that has COVID, anybody that gets COVID. Get your shots, folks. Do what you have to do. Um, stay away from it. I mean, we did lose 1.1 million Americans. And um, I, I never thought I was going to be that sick, but I was pretty sick there for a pretty long time. So um, go out there and, and, and do something to protect yourselves. Tonight, we're going to talk about another deadly item, uh, which is the economy. Um, and uh, But we have with us the wonderful, pleasant, smart, intelligent Michael Hartsman. Uh, he's a certified financial planner, a Wall Street veteran who specializes in retirement planning, education, elder and estate planning, life insurance, and long-term care. His vast knowledge of these subjects are discussed weekly on his podcast, which I appeared on uh, just fairly recently, The Labenthal Report. 
uh, a business show that keeps investors informed about the current market conditions, opportunities, and risks in the financial markets. As co-host, Michael helps guide listeners through the complex world of investing while breaking down today's headlines and stories into easily understood concepts, providing the kind of sound fiduciary advice his clients have received for years. Michael also broke a record. We had um, 2,600 listens on, on our LinkedIn post for uh, his show. So people are still fascinated by the economy and want to hear it, want to see it diluted and spoken about in easy terms that anyone can understand. And Mike is really wonderful at that. He's currently a partner and president of Labenthal Financial Services, a full-service independent broker-dealer with an emphasis on financial retirement planning, as well as president of Bristol Capital Corp., a full-service insurance agency specializing in life insurance, long-term care, fixed annuities, and employee benefits. Michael also taught a 12-week course at Long Island University, covering topics such as defined benefits, defined contribution plans, non-qualified plans, Social Security, and prepare CFP candidates for the retirement portion of their exams. Uh, much more to say about Mike, but we don't have that much time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Michael, welcome back to Radio Jobline. Thank you, Scott, and I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah, uh, feeling better is an understatement, um, but uh, as you can tell, I still don't sound 100%, right? I, I, you still have that radio voice. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see if it lasts through the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike, I, I've uh, been looking for someone to participate on Radio Jobline, as as sort of an economist advisor on money finance and so on for a very long time and uh, if you haven't gotten the message yet i really like you and that's why i was on your podcast and i hope you will continue to come back and keep us posted you see the thing is if you have four different economists on your show you're gonna get four opinions you're not gonna be able to hold their feet to the fire on the previous quarter Mm -hmm. right Uh, as I will with you Mm -hmm. and and uh, so I really appreciate the partnership that we have formed and I hope it will continue Um, you gave me some notes uh, before we start folks Uh, how did how the the stock market do so first of all thank you for the kind words Scott I appreciate that and I look forward to uh, our regular appearances for the throughout the year Mm -hmm. so the stock market was pretty ugly last year. Could have been worse, but it was really the worst year we had since the financial crisis in 2008. Mm-hmm. The S&P uh, for 2022 closed down 18%. The NASDAQ, which is a lot of technology companies, a lot of those big um, popular technology names that people are familiar with, that was actually down 32.4%. Mm. And the Dow Jones, the old standby, the old large cap, old-fashioned names a lot of people thought were out of style, that was only down 6.9%. And the reason that was so is because energy was a bellwether last year, and and energy was actually up almost 50% last year. And obviously, ExxonMobil is in the Dow Jones, so that, that helped the Dow Jones performance. What was also interesting last year is the international sector did not do as poorly as the Mm S&P. So a lot of people look at the international sector as being more aggressive, but that was actually down only about 11% compared to our market being down 18. Hmm. Interesting. Which makes a good case for asset allocation. Okay, okay, asset allocation, we'll get there. Uh, So uh, I'm looking at my own in retirement uh, monies shrinking. 
Uh, I, I get a statement, you know, every quarter from, you know, my various annuities, whatever I've got. And uh, all of them are were on the negative. So mm-hmm. uh, nobody likes that. And then, of course, you see interest rates rising. Now, you and I have talked about this a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think you know how I feel. I think the government does not have the control of this that they think they do. Um, I think if they keep on raising interest rates, they're going to cut off the one thing we've got going for us, which is a lively job market. Mm-hmm. If that should stop and hiring stops and layoffs are coming every day, more stories about layoffs, that's going to crap consumer confidence. That's gonna, it's going to impact in so many different ways, and it's going to be the, the disappearance of the one thing the economy still has going for it. And if they keep on raising interest rates, I'm worried that companies are going to stop hiring. And then what? So, Scott, they're going to raise interest rates. Um, as, as your greatest fears are going to come true. Mm-hmm. That's the bad news. The good news is they're going to slow down the 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 amount that they're going to raise interest rates. You know, they raise interest rates three quarters of percent, two or three times in a row. They're meeting again January 31st and February 1st. They'll make the announcement February 1st at 2 p.m. Mm-hmm. And they're probably going to raise interest rates another half a point. Now, tomorrow, the Consumer Price Index is coming out, the CPI. Yeah, well, let's say, can, let me just cut you off one okay, second. Sure. Let, let's say that inflation looks better for two consecutive months. That was my point. Okay. Tomorrow morning, when this when this consumer price index comes out, if we see definitive proof that inflation is truly slowing down, mm-hmm. sl- truly coming down, that might give the Fed an excuse to only raise interest rates 25 basis points mm-hmm. in February. But God willing, you have me back in April, and, and I'll go on the record saying they're going to raise interest rates on February 1st. Okay. Probably 50 basis points. To your point, if, if the CPI number tomorrow was good, maybe 25 basis points. Mm. But the Fed is looking for solid proof that they could take their foot off the, um, the gas pedal. Right. Uh, I, I still think that the messaging that you hear from the Fed on this is terrible. And and I, I, I'm not sure that there's good PR associated with this, but uh, because look how angry people like me are. I mean, I, I, I keep seeing them raising interest rates and I'm going, well, is this affecting their money? Is this affecting their investments, all these people that are making these decisions? So it kind of worries me. The other thing I wanted to mention to you is the price of gas. Gas has dropped, I think it was four and a quarter to three dollars, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a huge drop. I mean, it, you can't even fathom what a gigantic drop that is. And and of course, that's going to help inflation. Of course, that's going to help the cost of everything. You're spending, le- uh, you know, twenty five percent less on gas. You know, then then you have other money you can spend on groceries or whatever. So, shouldn't there be a bigger impact from that? Sure. Um, if, if the price of gas was still $5 a gallon and still headline news, then I think, to your point, consumer confidence would be way worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, we both live on Long Island. We both know on a Saturday night, it's not that easy to get a reservation at, at their favorite restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, people are still out there spending money still. Mm-hmm. Um, one point that, I, that you and I shared earlier this week is... I don't have a single client who's expressed to me 
job insecurity. And what I mean by that, I haven't had a client say to me, well, we need to make my portfolio more income-oriented because they think I'm losing my job. Or of all the rollovers I did last year, it was not because a single client had lost their job, thank God. To your point, I'm not saying that that might not happen soon, but at the moment, no one that I deal with directly, and it's almost a 1,000 people who have as clients, have said to me, we have to have a conversation because I may not. I may be unemployed in two months. Mm. Now, one person, which I find encouraging. But Mike, if they keep raising interest rates, aren't they ultimately going to intentionally slow down the growth of the job market? Yes. So, have you heard the expression "soft landing"? Yes. All right. So this is the 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 finesse in the argument that portfolio managers and economists have. Every day, mm-hmm. can the Fed create this soft landing? And what they mean by that, Scott, is can they break the back of inflation without breaking the back of the job market, right? Mm-hmm. And if and if they cannot, then it will not be a soft landing. It'll be a crash landing, and your worst fears will come true. Mm-hmm. Do do I think that's going to happen? I think it's more likely that it will not happen. Okay. So, you no, know, that's good. Glad to hear that. And now I'd like you to expand on that. Why do you think it won't happen? Because when I was when I was on the show in, in, in the fall, mm-hmm. I said to you that there were three things that we were worried about for, for most of the year. It was interest rates, inflation, and recession. And at the time... I commented that inflation had been stubborn and the Fed at at that time was not able to slow it down. It was stuck around seven and a half. Since then, inflation has come down. It's come down, you know, pretty significantly. Again, we get another report tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So with inflation coming down, the Fed has started to make comments that they if they get enough data, they'll feel comfortable in also slowing down their rate of interest rate hikes. At the moment, the expectation is they raise in February, they raise again in the next two meetings, and then they stop. Okay. So one more time, for people that haven't been listening to us uh, or aren't aware, why does the Fed continue to raise interest rates? I know the answer, but but a lot of people might not. They continue to raise interest rates because, in their opinion, they well, not their opinion, their mandate is to control inflation. So they'll claim they don't care about the stock market, they don't care about the job market, all they care about is inflation. So if they feel that if they stop raising interest rates too soon or prematurely, then risk comes back on the table, spending comes back on the table. Expansion comes back on the table, and guess what? Inflation comes back on the table. So the Fed will tell you their job, number one job is to break the back of inflation. And if they feel it's going to you know, cause a few more plates to break along the way, they're willing to do that as long as they crush inflation first. Okay. So what approximately is the inflation rate now? 
the inflation right now approximately is between 5 and 6%. Okay. And we want to get it realistically, Mike. We want to get it to, I mean, I know they love to get it to 2%. But realistically, by the end of 2023, where do they want it? Four. Four. The, 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 the general consensus is if they, get, if they get the Fed funds rate to 5% and the inflation rate to 4%, I think they'll look at it as mission accomplished. Mm -hmm. They've said 2%, but these are smart people at the Federal Reserve. Mm -hmm. They know it takes years to get the inflation rate back down to 2%, Scott. Right. Okay. So so I'm, I'm trying to feel better, Mike, uh, about mm -hmm. what you're saying, because I, I, I feel like I'm carrying the weight as the host of this show. Uh, to to tell people that the job market is still healthy, and and you should still change jobs, right? I mean, uh, I write a, um, a sort of a, um, a column, I would say, mm -hmm. uh, that I post on the internet, and I'm very happy that so many people read it, and it's wonderful. Uh, but the truth is, is I don't, I, I half the time I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I, I'm really not sure what to tell people. So what if I said to you, Mike, is this a good time to change jobs? I think well, Scott, you're the job expert, but I think if you're if you're in an industry that's expanding, then I would say yes, it's a good time to change jobs. Mm -hmm. If you're in a, in an industry that's contracting, like the tech sector, look if you if you and I were three thousand miles away in Silicon Valley, we'd be having an entirely different conversation because mm -hmm. Amazon and Salesforce and and Facebook they've all announced massive layoffs, mm -hmm. right? So. And we talked about this on our podcast. That's a little bit of an outlier, what's going on in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, whether it's banking or or the IT sector in general, um, you could still find a job if you want one. And in the unskilled labor force, you know, the jobs are plentiful as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So so you would encourage people that are um, in in growth areas you know, in areas that are industrially doing well, mm -hmm. uh, and you would probably discourage people who, in areas like IT. Yeah, because if you're in, if you're in the IT sector and, and you're in a, in, a, in a sector that's contracting and, and you can keep your head down and get through this recession and, and not get laid off, then I would probably recommend doing that. Because here's the other part of it, Scott, which we haven't talked about. The other insidious part of, of raising interest rates is obviously the cost of doing business goes sky high. Mm -hmm. And the reason that the tech sector is having more layoffs, starting layoffs first, is the tech sector is very, very prone to higher interest rates, right? Because a lot of those companies are startups. So if you need to go to the market, you need to raise money, it's like buying a house. If it costs you 2% for money a year and a half ago, now it costs you 5%. It, you have to think twice about raising that money and what you do with that money. So the reason the tech sector has taken it on the chin first is because of the rising interest rate environment. Yeah, and there's also a lag too. Yeah. It's like it's like all these layoffs that we're hearing about. Like I heard on the radio on the way over here today that um, Google is, is is talking about layoffs. They haven't happened yet, you know. So, but when they do happen. And it's calculated into the numbers, finally, the employment numbers. You know, how big of an impact is that going to have? See, this is what's bothering me, Mike. And I'm going to, before we go to the break, I, I've never seen in my lifetime anything like COVID. 
the the with an industrial impact so powerful, you know, to have caused all this supply chain problems, all this inflate, all these infl- inflation problems, and that's why I'm worried if the standard conventional methodology for which is raising interest rates to control inflation is going to work this time and get us where we want to be. Um, we're going to sort of put a bookmark there and and, um, and and pick that up in segment two. In the meantime, I want you to tell people about you. Well, what if people want to get a hold of you? Is there a website? Yes. So our website is, Lab- is Labenthal.com. Spell it. I will. It's the old, it's the old Labenthal name that you may be familiar with. My mm-hmm. partner and I bought that name in 2018 mm-hmm. uh, to rebrand it and revive it. It's L-E-B, like boy, E-N-T-H-A-L.com. Okay. So anybody that wants to see you privately, get some investment advice or whatever, uh, they can they can do it by going to that website. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I'm a certified financial planner. My office is in Jericho. And I do meetings in person. I do them on, you know, through Zoom, and and my practice is nationwide. Okay, great. Uh, you listen to Radio Jobline with Scott Possessor. We have uh, a fantastic guest with us tonight, talking about the economy, folks. If there's anything that's more important than the economy, give me a call and tell me what it is. If you want to be on the show, write to me, Scott P one eighteen at gmail dot com. Got a news break coming up. We'll be right back. And now, welcome back to Radio Jobline with your host, Scott Possessor, right here on LI News Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Directly from my deathbed, I've returned to Radio Jobline. Uh, after about with COVID, I will not mention it again after today's show, but uh, I, it, it was in some ways very humorous, in some ways a little bit scary. Um, and uh, I recommend everybody do what they can to avoid getting COVID, folks. Uh, it's it's a bad scene. It's a predator. It'll find your weakness and exploit it. So um, look out for that. But in the meantime, we're talking about something deadlier, which which is the economy. Um I have not liked what I've been hearing for over a year now, folks. I, I, I needed someone like Michael Hartsman to, who's, who's calm. He's got a great bedside manner. He, he doesn't say anything to inflame um, my already big concerns about where the economy is going, how it's going to impact the job market. I mean, I'm all about the job market. We still have a lively job market here. And I believe the economy created a 230,000 jobs last month or something like that. And if it can keep doing that, God bless it. And, and everybody, you know, can still hang on to their job and not be worried about their jobs and spend money and get the restaurant reservation. And mm-hmm. we can somehow make it through this. So first, I want your, your prediction on the length of the, of the recession that that we that we that you're hoping for, right? Uh, obviously, you don't have a crystal ball, Michael, and and I understand that. Um, but tell us the way you see 2023 happening. Okay, that's a great question. So, a couple of things about 2023, and a lot of them could be considered anecdotal, mm-hmm. and a lot of them could be based on fact. And you, one thing you have to remember about this market that we just had, we're going through an economic cycle. The last two recessions we had, one was because of the pandemic in 2020, and one was because of the worst financial crisis we've we've seen in our lifetimes Mm -hmm. in 2008 and 2009. What we're going through now is a basic economic cycle. Um, I do believe the Fed, while they got to the game late, 
which is why they had to raise interest rates so drastically mm-hmm. for several sessions in a row, I think they, they're starting to get it under control now. So what we see for 2023 is more volatility in the beginning for sure because we're going to get at least two or three more rate hikes. At a certain point, we're probably going to fall into a recession in 2023, mm-hmm. whether, it's, whether it's the second and third quarter or the third and fourth quarter. I think that's when it'll, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Now, recessions are measured by time. So what I would what I believe will happen is we should have a relatively shallow recession, which might mean either two negative quarters in a row or three negative quarters in a row. And then by 2024, there already is the expectation, Scott, well, when will the Fed begin to lower interest rates? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're investors are so impatient to get those low interest rates um um, back on the books, that they're already asking the Fed chiefs, well, when do you expect to start lowering interest rates? And Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, actually went on the record and saying, we don't anticipate having to lower interest rates in 2023. Now, here's here's where people have to be careful. Did you, did you mean 2024 just No, now? no. They, the, the Fed went on the record to say they do not expect lowering, oh, interest, lowering. lowering okay. interest rates in 2023. Right. Now, here's the rub and why people have to be careful what they wish for. If the Fed actually starts lowering interest rates in 2023, it's for one reason, basically, and that is that we fell into a recession quicker and the Fed did not navigate that soft landing, Mm -hmm. crash landed and blew up the job market. And the reason that they're lowering interest rates quicker than anticipated is they now have to re-stimulate the economy. So again, under the category, be careful you wish for. Mm-hmm. My hope is they stop raising interest rates the first quarter of this year or the latest early spring, and then we just kind of glide through the rest of 2023. Mm. Okay, and perhaps look at some interest rate uh, you know, drops maybe in 2024. Perhaps, yeah, that's the anticipation. Okay, and then everybody will be smiling. Your your stock portfolio will go back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, your interest rate will come down. You can buy a house again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's all hope for the best, obviously. Yeah, and here's the other, here's the other thing. Um, <coughs> not, not everyone is upset about rising interest rates. Don't forget... You know, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, who live on a fixed income, who can now buy a CD for the first time in 10 years and get a decent rate of return. Let's not forget that a one-year treasury, Scott, you could get a one-year treasury, which is probably the safest investment on the planet, and get a 4.5% yield. So it's not, look, it's not all unicorns and rainbows, Mm -hmm. but it's not, you know, it's not a snake pit either, right? There are people actually benefiting from rising interest rates. All right, so let's talk about perhaps reallocating what you do have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know some people panic. They, they When they see a recession coming, they hear the word recession, they see it on the front page of the New York Times, they call up their, their investment person and they say, let's, let's, let's reallocate. Mm-hmm. You know, let's do what we have to do. Let's take the money out. I mean, I've seen crazy people do crazy things. Mm-hmm. What do you think folks should do 
in in the calendar year 2023 with their investments, if anything? If you would have asked me this question 5, 10, 15 years ago, I would have given you the same answer. Mm -hmm. It's based on their risk tolerance, their age, their income needs, the amount of money they have to invest, whether they need to leave that money behind for children. So it's it's not a boilerplate answer. Mm -hmm. And and the one truism is always is be vigilant, make sure your asset allocation meets your goals. And if you were to if you the one lesson you should have learned if you sold everything and bought Bitcoin or if you sold everything and bought Amazon, well that was never a good idea mm-hmm. in a rising market or not. So to me, the takeaway would be that this is a good time for people to get back to basics mm-hmm. and have an asset, allocation, asset allocated portfolio, whether it's a 60-40 split or a 40-60 split. But it's not, it's not because we're in a recession, there's nowhere to invest, right? So there are certain sectors that do better in a recession than others. For instance, the large cap sector, the, the bigger companies, consumer staples will, will typically do well in a recession. Healthcare will typically do well in, in all markets. So it's also a matter of, as Wayne Gretzky said, know where the puck is going. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, that uh, I also think about is the going to the grocery store every week. Mm-hmm. I see the prices still going up. Mm-hmm. I do not see them coming down. My lease, my car lease, is coming up next March. I'm confused about what to do. Do I do I lease a car? I, I will, I will be higher rates at that time, um, way higher than my my lease from two years ago, or do I buy the car? You know, uh, from from the company, and maybe for twenty grand, I have a car with fifteen, eighteen thousand miles, and maybe that's the best thing to do. I think there are a lot of conf- there's a lot of confusion, Mike, about what to do. I mean, many people say, and I've heard it's it's very common to say, leave your investments alone. Mm-hmm. You're in it for the long haul. You know, it's going to go up, it's going to go down, it's going to go up, it's going to go down. Leave it alone. Ultimately, it's mostly going to go up. You know, th- this is this is the common thinking uh, as far as the education goes in in financial in the financial world for so many people. Leave your investments alone. Is that still a good idea? Depending upon risk tolerance, risk tolerance and time horizon. Hmm. Like I said earlier, I even had a client call me up and express job insecurity to me. And say to me, I'm going to need to start living off my investments. Because, Scott, do you, what you said is true most of the time. Mm-hmm. But, for instance, if you were my client and you said to me, look, you know, we have X amount of money together and I'm going to need to draw whatever a month from these investments, well, I'm going to want to reallocate your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Because the kiss of death with a portfolio is someone who is withdrawing money monthly and the account is going down monthly, mm-hmm. right? That's a double whammy. Mm-hmm. So my job as a fiduciary is to, is to the best of my ability, stem your losses while we're sending you money monthly. So to your point, if all other things being equal are the same, then yes, do nothing. Mm-hmm. But if something changes for you, then I don't care what's happening out there. Well, there's a lot of baby boomers. Mm-hmm. I was reading a uh, New York Times article today about uh, how many baby boomers are retiring, 
Okay, mm-hmm. and if that is true, that's gonna, first of all create a gap in the in the in the, in the talent pools and the job market. But that's a, a, an issue for another show. Um, but what I worry about is is those people are going to retire in the next one to two years, according to this article I read. Mm-hmm. And so they're the ones that are most at risk uh, for the vulnerabilities we now have based on current conditions. Should they be doing something? Yes. They should either be talking to their financial advisor or their accountant or trusted advisor. They should have a financial plan in place. They should understand how much income they're going to need to withdraw from their investments, and they're going to have and they're going to want to allocate their portfolio properly. You know, rule of thumb for most financial professionals, if they're super conservative, is maybe a three to four percent withdrawal rate. Mm-hmm. Those who are a little more aggressive, a little more optimistic, maybe five, right? But most financial advisors do not want to give advice to go above that threshold of a withdrawal rate of 5%. So if you're thinking about retiring, that's what you have to do as a retiree is you have to understand what your withdrawal rate is going to be from the investments that you have. So if you've got, say... um $400,000 in equity in your home, right? Mm-hmm. And again, we're talking about a baby boomer here that's about to retire. And they and they haven't done well with their savings. They've only got a few hundred thousand. Okay, so maybe they're all together, they have $700,000 in, in, uh, in, in, in assets, period. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you recommend someone like that do? Are they gonna stay on Long Island? No, <laughs> no, who could stay on Long Island? Exactly. Yeah. Look, so the other question is, there when should i start withdrawing my social security Mm -hmm. um if they have a spouse will their will their spouse start collecting if they have a pension what pension option do they take um one other one other alternative and i do not sell them and i'm not recommending them but they're a useful tool is a reverse mortgage Mm -hmm. so they actually have equity in their house and, and, and they're not just for people in their 80s any, any longer. Um, I normally do not recommend a client looking at a reverse mortgage in their 60s or early 70s. But if it's the scenario you just painted, then a reverse mortgage is something else to look at. The other thing, Scott, is if they're going to leave Long Island and sell their home, maybe they don't have to buy a new home, mm-hmm. right? Maybe they, maybe they rent. Yeah. Um, so that's also something to consider. Well, no, I wanted to ask you about that because yeah. that's a good question. You know, we we can probably, uh, when we retire, we could probably afford an inexpensive condominium somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, anywhere but Long Island, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, but And then, of course, I'd have no monthly payment, right, except for taxes. An HOA. An HOA, okay. Um, but, but on the other hand, if I keep my money and let it throw off more interest and, and make the money that way, I mean, I'm probably going to work... You know, I think a lot of boomers are going to get a little part-time job, maybe work at um, Home Depot or any, you know, just to make a few extra bucks, maybe 25000 a year. Mm-hmm. That helps. Absolutely. That I told my Social Security, are, you know, you got something right there. I told my client, I had that client this morning, I'm sorry, I had that conversation this morning with a client. Mm-hmm. Exactly that. He's a, he's a handy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, would you consider working at Home Depot? And that was exactly the conversation. Mm-hmm. 
you know, but there's other things too. I mean, if you if you have um, good communication skills, you can do customer service. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a very needed uh, field. Uh, no matter what's going on in the economy, uh, you can't find any good customer service anyway. I mean, when was the last time you you hung up the phone and said, "Boy, that was great customer service." Exactly. All right. I mean, so I'm thinking that's an area for people. Um, but but I think a lot of us are going to need a little small income on top of the what the investments throw off, on top of Social Security, and on top of your real estate investment. I could not agree with you more. Mm-hmm. I saw a statistic the other day which was startling to me. Half of U.S. Oh, I'm sorry, half of Americans have four hundred dollars in savings mm-hmm. or less. Half of Americans. Mm. Four hundred dollars or less. So, so yeah, those people already are not going to be able to retire without having some type of part-time job mm. well into their seventies. Yeah, and then at some point you have enough left, hopefully, so that depending on how long you live, if you calculate, I'm going to live to eighty-seven, right? Or uh, you know, maybe that's a good age to choose. Uh, you say, well, how much money do I have left? And if I divide that up over the nine years that are remaining. You know, I, I, I got to covet. Yeah, and, and that is also part of the calculation that I have with clients all the time of when to collect Social Security. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always the big number. I think you and I are about the same age, so our number is probably around 67. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could we could start taking it at 62. Mm-hmm. We could wait till 70. And and again, there's no one answer because see, the, the variables are, are you still working? Do you have a spouse? Are you in good health? Mm-hmm. You know, my feeling always, Scott, is I have a single client who's not married. Take it, take it. If you're not, if if, if you're still working, okay, wait till you're fully eligible. But if if you're retired or don't make a lot of money, take it at sixty-two because if you die prematurely, no one gets that money. Mm. Never thought of that. Never thought. Of, but you think seventy is a good age? Now, do you, do you get more? I don't. No, no. I I I most of the time. Yes, you do get more, right? Because it goes up about eight percent a year. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at the break even, right? So most people, if they if they if they start taking it at sixty six as opposed to waiting to seventy, if they wait to seventy, they have to make it to about somewhere between seventy nine and a half and eighty two before they start to break even. Mm. So again, you know, tell me when you're going to die, and I'll tell you what you should do. Right. But for most people. When they hear they have to make it to their early 80s, they're like, well, forget that. I'm just going to take it at 67. Mm. I think um, we're scared to take it uh, in our family. We, we want to wait as long as we can mm-hmm. to take it, uh, get as much as we can, um, and we're just, we're just leery. Because when, once you start taking your Social Security, I have one uh, policy where I've got to take money every year. It sends mm-hmm. me, so I don't even want the money. It's not, and it's, it's not, it's not, it's not much money. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's $800 or whatever it is, but it was $1,600, but we have to take it. Right. And also if I, you're married. Yeah. So God forbid anything happens to you. Well, that's the other, well, let me, re, let me back up. Mm-hmm. The way social security works is a, a surviving spouse gets either their, 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 their passed away spouse of Social Security or their own, whichever is higher. Mm-hmm. So I have a client, husband and wife, they basically made the same amount of money their entire lives. They were kind of neck and neck, and they both going to wait to 70. Mm-hmm. And I explained to them, well, if you both wait to 70, and one of you doesn't make it to 70, 
then you're losing all of that benefit. You're mm. losing every penny of it mm. because you, you are going to get as much as, as, as her and vice versa. And they said to me, we never thought of that. Mm. Right, so there are so many different variables. It's just ne- it's never one answer, and I don't, I don't want to like, I don't want to not give you a straight answer, mm-hmm. but there just is never one answer. Okay, but I think I think it's safe to say that if you have a financial advisor, uh, you should go talk to them, uh, and if you don't have a financial advisor, you should get one. Y- y- yes, because they could do that calculation for you. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, financial advisors come in all shapes and sizes, and. And variations. So, yeah, I'm a certified financial planner. Obviously, I believe in that designation. Mm-hmm. But you should get someone who's definitely a fiduciary. You should get someone who, you know, has either been referred to you. Do not look for one on the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, do not look for one, you know, in the penny saver. Go, either get someone who's a fiduciary, a CFP, and more often than not, a trusted referral from either a very good friend, family member, or professional okay very good one more time give us the uh, information about labenthal one more time and the services you provide so so labenthal financial is a full service broker dealer and registered investment advisory firm we we manage um portfolios of all shapes and sizes we do not have any minimums Mm -hmm. every client we get is a referral so therefore we don't turn anyone away my partner is dominic tavella and between the two of us, we manage close to a billion, with a B, mm-hmm. dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, we have offices in Hop Hog, in Jericho. Dominic runs the Hop Hog office. I run the Jericho office. Um, as I said, I'm a certified financial planner. I, um, I, taught, I taught retirement planning at CW Post. Um, we do have about 15 or 20 financial advisors who work for us as well. And between the two of us, we have a staff of about uh, 20 people who help us. Okay. And one more time, the uh, email. Uh, well, if you can give an email address, that would be great, but the, at least the website. So the website is labenthal.com, and the email is mhartzman, M-H-A-R-T-Z-M-A-N, at labenthal.com. Okay, fantastic. You were great tonight, Mike. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was great. That. We, uh, we, we make great music together. I had a great host. Thank you. All right. So uh, you've been listening to Radio Jobline with Scott Possessor, and tonight my co-host was Mike Hartsman, who did a fabulous job. If you didn't learn anything tonight, folks, you weren't listening. Uh, there was a lot of great information. We're going to have Mike back on every quarter and hold his feet to the fire and hope he'll continue to come back and give the information he did tonight. If you want to be on the show, write to me, scottp118 at gmail.com. Another show next week. Have a happy hunting, everybody. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.